Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Around the world, also our good friends at TuneIn, iTunes, Video Loyalty, and of course iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining us today here on the program. We've got a great guest to uh, start our next hour here on the program. Our good friend Lil Ponte is with us today. Um, breaking the Bank authors, uh, of course, they're, they're warning the dismantling of J.P. Morgan Chase won't prevent a financial meltdown. We go to the telephones. Lil Ponte is with us today. Lil, welcome back to the program. Happy New Year. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about this situation because uh, there's a lot of people that want to dismantle J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Elizabeth Warren, all these other folks, um, left and right, want to go after these folks, but... Um, this is not going to present, prevent another financial meltdown. Give us your thoughts on this, my friend. Tell, tell, us, tell, tell us all about this, Lou. We've got a financial meltdown coming and dismantling J.P. Morgan Chase is coming up. Getting any way to stop it, my friend? No, apparently not, because these big banks, the five biggest banks, hold half of all the deposits in the U.S., any one of them, if it went down, would bring the economy with it. And the ability to stop it from going down is a lot harder than people understand. For example, J.P. Morgan Chase, well, this, this week we had the amusement of the number five bank, which is Goldman Sachs, suggesting that the number one bank in assets, J.P. Morgan Chase, could be broken up because it would be more profitable in its pieces than it would as one giant bank. Well, one of the things these banks are strange economic instruments called derivatives, which are just contra- contracts based on bets, if you will. Um, you know, the Federal Reserve is empowered to print money itself directly. So what do the lesser banks like J.P. Morgan Chase do? Oh, they print derivatives, which act like money. They're a kind of artificial wealth. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase alone, one company, has exposure to almost $70 trillion worth of derivative bets. Now, if you think anybody can bail that out, should those derivatives get in trouble, uh, I have a bridge in Brooklyn to fix. I mean, the the, the danger of those things is enormous. In fact, Warren Buffett, who has some understanding of economics, has called them financial weapons of mass destruction. He's just waiting for the country to melt down over all the derivatives we have. However, J.P. Morgan Chase had the, the excitement in the last few days of becoming only the number two American bank holding derivatives. They now have been pushed past with more than $70 trillion in derivatives created by and held by Citibank. In other words, all these big banks are so deep in debt that suppose there were a crisis. We talked about this before. A lot of people are willing to trust their money to a bank because it has that little gold seal in the window that says accounts protected up to $250,000 by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC. 
the FDIC at any given moment only has about $37 billion in assets. It has a very promissory note from the Treasury and the Fed that in the direst of emergencies they might give it an additional half trillion dollars. The only problem is the FDIC is insuring more than $7 trillion in accounts. In other words, at, at the farthest possible extreme, it might be able to cover one out of every $14 it now insures. Wow. And that's what people take as protection. Wow. In other words, we have, we have this crazy banking system based on what's called fractional reserve banking. Yep, which yep. means you take your money down, you put it in the bank, the bank immediately lends it out to somebody else all except for some tiny fraction on the order of 10% or less. Yep. And they're taking your short-term money that you believe you can get back at a moment's notice or by a key click on your computer, and they're putting it out in 30-year loans to people who may or may not be good credit risk in the market where housing prices may be going up or down. Yep. In other words, they may not be able to get the money back either. And and we built our whole economic system on this. So we have fractional reserve banking backed up by fractional reserve insurance from the government. It can only cover one out of every $14 that insures. And that's what our system rests on. And now on top of that, the banks have created this investor world, this, this magic wealth out of derivatives. As I said, roughly $70 trillion in derivatives for, for just one bank, J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, how much is $70 trillion? If you took the entire gross domestic product of planet Earth, every country, every worker on the whole planet, not just in the U.S., we're talking about Europe, China, Japan, put them all together, they come to a little less than $70 trillion. In other words, J.P. Morgan Chase alone has indebtedness, if you want to view it that way, equivalent to the entire annual gross domestic product of planet Earth. And we're told that with its half trillion dollars, compared to that 70 trillion, uh, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation would somehow be able to bail this out. By the way, there are people who believe this. And the reason we know is that this Congress staged this lame duck session in which they passed a giant budget, right, to keep the government going. And everybody said, why did they pass this around Christmas time when nobody was watching, nobody was paying attention, and people who'd been voted out of office were doing a lot of the voting? Why did they do that? Oh, well, because there was a little provision that had been put into the Dodd-Frank banking law that prohibited banks from acting as they've acted in the past with derivatives. And during this lame duck session, this new budget they passed, they erased that law. I, I remember I remember hearing about that law. I, I just was astounded when I heard about that. I, I, I couldn't believe how that got erased. And, and guess what has happened since then? I mentioned that Citibank has suddenly acquired all these derivatives in recent weeks. Uh, the provision that struck that down used language, some financial experts noted, essentially word-for-word identical with a proposal put forth by Citibank to strike the law down. In other words, this was like the bankers wrote the repeal of the limitation on their wealth and power. And uh, what does that mean? 
Well, guess what? Citibank, well, what has been prohibited was like under the old Glass-Steagall law, if you are an investment bank and you have derivatives, you can have them. That would have been permitted, but you could not put them into a sub-bank structure that was protected by the FDIC. In other words, where the taxpayers were on the hook for the money. And yet, in recent weeks, that's exactly what Citibank has done. They have taken more than $50 trillion worth of their derivatives, and they quietly moved it from the accounts where they've had it now into a sub-bank they own that is FDIC protected. In other words, who's on the hook for most of those derivatives for at least Citibank? You are. You are. Wow. Uh, so so we're basically just going we're, we're basically just going back to the same thing that got us into trouble to begin with. <laughs> it's basically what you're oh, saying. Well, well, you know, Craig Smith and I have this new book out called Don't Bank on a Piece of Paper of 21st Century Banking, yep. in which we explain to people, don't you understand, under the new conceptual laws that are happening now, you don't even own your bank account. We, we warned people this was coming, and guess what happened? November 16th, 2014, in the holiday season, President Barack Obama is down in Brisbane, Australia, where is meeting an entity called the G20. The G20 is all the big financial powers of the world. The countries that control 85% of world trade, the giant central banks, including the European Central Bank and the Fed, those are the kind of people who are meeting at the G20. President Obama flew down there to cast a vote affirming that the U.S. was joining the bail-in concept that has now taken over banking. Remember in 2008-2009, the world nearly melted down. Our Federal Reserve and, and Treasury facilitated $16 trillion worth of loans to U.S. and many foreign banks to keep things from collapsing. Oh, you weren't told about that either. That had to be found by a special study done by the GAO, the General Accounting uh, Office, and or, or Accountability Office, they now call it. They <laughs> found that the government and our bank had certainly conjured, helped people get $16 trillion to keep the banks from collapsing. Well, the government did not want to be in that position again because it wants to keep that money for itself. So it is now, under President Obama, agreed, as of just a few weeks ago, to the bail-in concept first used in the island nation of Cyprus in the Mediterranean in March 2013, where people woke up one day to find, find the government had just confiscated their bank accounts. Under the bail-in principle, before a bank goes under, if it's caught short, if it needs money and liquidity, the first money to be taken will be the assets of the bank itself, and under the bail-in concept, the assets include your bank account. In other words, when you gave the bank your money uh, in a deposit form, you might have had the, the silly notion that it's still your money. But under this new legal doctrine, the money now effectively belongs to the bank. And if the bank owes debts, your bank account can be seized and used to cover those debts. By the way, how much are the banks paying you for putting money in a bank account now? Oh, that's right. They're paying nothing. nothing. 
absolutely nothing. And if you want to get you want to get more information on what we're talking about today, pick up the great book. Don't bank on it. You can uh, get more information by calling 800-630-1494 or visiting the incredible website SwissAmerica.com. And uh, actually, better better yet, if you call that number today. Uh, they would be happy to give you a copy of this book if you have a bank account. If you don't wow. have a bank account, it doesn't make much difference. Especially <laughs> the 20 major risk your bank account now, now is subjected to, in exchange for which they pay you no interest at all. In fact, they're about to start charging you just to have a bank account. If you want the free book, just leave your name and number at 800 630 1494. That's 1 800 630 1494. Now, if you ask, why are we doing this? It's very simple. My co author, Craig Smith, yep. um, has made several hundred million dollars as an entrepreneur. He's like Biff Romney. He doesn't need the money from selling a few books. What he does want to do is save the world, the Republican, sound money for his children and grandchildren and yours. And so what we're doing is just arming people with information. This is our fifth book. And we'll pay for the postage. We'll pay for the toll-free phone call. We'll pay for the book. It won't, literally won't cost you a penny, but it could save your savings. If you want to just call 800-630-1494. Now, I did have to warn you, if you read this, you'll never be able to view your bank or government uh, or the economy the same way again. Uh, you will be horrified by what you discover here, but you need to know. I mean, there's a reason why a former economics professor at Harvard University withdrew his million-dollar life savings account from one of these banks. He now considers it too dangerous. And, and, and we tell his story in this book. Uh, and this is not somebody you can say is ignorant of economics. He was a Harvard economics professor, and he's scared of the banks. So let that be a lesson to all of us, Jiggy. Now let's let, let's talk a little bit about um, what what is what is really going on with with the with the big banks and how uh, they want to just uh, basically go back to what we did before. Like like pick up the conversation there about that uh, that that. Uh, I guess amendment or whatever or a change that they did to the bill where they basically are, are taking everybody back to the standards that we were doing before. Um, how is this allowed to happen? Was it just because it was a lame duck and nobody was paying attention to the story? Is that what was going on there, Larry? Well, starting in the Depression era, 1932-1933, a law was created called Glass-Steagall. And what it said basically is Banks can be of two kinds. If you want to be an investment bank that takes a lot of risky gambles, investing in stock and companies and so on, go ahead. You're perfectly free to do so, but we will not guarantee your account with taxpayer money. Because why should the taxpayer be on the hook for you gambling? Especially in a world where if you lose, you make the taxpayers pay for it. If you win, you put the money in your own pocket. Uh, and so, they created two separate classes of banking. If you want to have a nice little hometown bank that just invests in people's mortgages and things that are very safe uh, and not anything speculative, as is thought like stocks or derivatives, then 
uh, we will protect you with FDIC insurance for whatever that's worth. It will reassure people. They won't be in a panic every night wondering if their savings are safe. Uh, so that was the choice. You could be one kind of bank or the other. Then in 1999, Glass-Steagall was repealed. And in its place, they basically said to the banks, you want to be part of a casino? You want to be part of Wall Street? You find it boring to be a small-town banker? Fine. Bring your billions here, and we'll spin the roulette wheel, and we'll let you do this. We'll no longer have those limitations. In other words, you can have on the side uh, a speculative company, a Wall Street company, and so on. And banks suddenly got very, very rich doing that. Then, after the cave-in in 2008-2009, uh, the new Dodd-Frank financial law began trying to squeeze that down so there wouldn't have to be giant bailouts again. One of the things they did, as I said, is they told the banks, you can't deal with derivatives the way you have been doing. There are now strict limits on that. Uh, if you want your accounts insured, you're basically going to have to step away from derivatives. The banks did not like that because derivatives was how they conjured money out of thin air the way the Federal Reserve does. And so they have been fighting to undo Dodd-Frank. And just a few weeks ago, while the rest of us were celebrating Christmas and looking the other way, they did exactly that. They just struck down that provision in Dodd-Frank in the new uh, funding law that President Obama eagerly signed. You had politicians of both parties happy to take the money from the giant banks for doing that. And so we are now back in tremendous danger as derivatives are again exploding. But these are financial instruments that if you had to say, um, how much is the as a derivative in your bank worth today, nobody's really sure. The banks want to keep them on their books, but they don't want to try to sell them because if they tried to sell them, maybe nobody would buy. <laughs> or nobody buys for anywhere near what they claim they're worth. Yeah. So this is an enormous con game being played. It continues to be made possible by the Federal Reserve conjuring huge amounts of money and credit. And by the way, understand that credit is almost as good as money from the point of view of the giant companies. Like, like all the companies that have now moved overseas and are holding literally trillions of dollars on their books outside the U.S. They don't want to bring them here because we have the heaviest business taxes in the world. We have business taxes on the order now of, what, 35% or more. And if you add up all the different things, government, state, local, federal, dump on businesses, the average tax on business in the U.S. is now 46%. When you factor in all wow. the so nearly half of everything companies make, if they're here, is going to be taxed away. One of the major reforms needed is the politicians are now realizing these companies have moved so much money out of the country and are not bringing it back unless that gets reformed, that they're going to have to cut another deal to lower the tax to let people bring that money back in. But in the meanwhile, uh, we have this game being played where everything is run by companies taking their actual money out of the country, and then how do they keep their division in the country running? Oh, very simple. They borrow. You see, the Federal Reserve has now pushed and held interest rates close to zero. If you are big enough that you have a credit line and can borrow any amount you want, 
as these giant companies can, then why not just run on borrow it, borrowed money? That's almost as good as gift money because you don't really have to pay anything for it. You just use it. Uh, and that's the situation the Federal Reserve has created. That's why they can't raise interest rates. It would not only devastate the companies here, it would devastate the government. I mean, we just passed $18 trillion well, in total well. debt for the government here. Now, imagine if you raise interest rates 1%, the amount of interest that would have to be paid every year on our debt is more than a trillion dollars. Therefore, can the Fed allow the government to be... See, if, if they raise interest rates, the government has to pay that higher interest, too. So are they going to do it? No, no, no. <laughs> they cannot do it. It could collapse the whole system here. Therefore, they have to keep interest rates near zero. And the way they take care of that, for you and me, is they look at a... Have you tried to borrow money lately? No, but I know a few people who have discovered that those one and two percent interest rates being offered are accessible to others, but not to you. Yep. Your credit isn't going to be good enough to get a loan at that level. Well, that's how they handle it. They give the money only to the big guys and the government. And in fact, eighteen percent of all bank assets are now being held by the government or by the Federal Reserve. They're not being held. Uh, you know, they're not out there in the marketplace. That's why we haven't seen explosive inflation. They played a game where, in the crisis, the Fed gave $16 trillion to the banks. Well, less to American banks. They gave a lot to foreign banks, too. But a, a large fraction of that $16 trillion then, the banks turned around, and the government said to the banks, but we're going to punish the hell out of you if you invest that money unwisely or you take risks or you lose money as you did with all those real estate loans we forced you to make to uncreditworthy people under the credit uh, or the Community Reinvestment Act. That was one of the Democrats' little schemes for, for making their own constituents happy, giving mortgages to people who normally would not qualify mortgages, so they basically use regulatory power to squeeze the bank, to twist its arm to the breaking point, and make banks lend vast amounts of money to people who normally weren't credit worthy. And then guess what? A lot of them didn't pay. A lot of them, when their home prices began to slip, just walked away, uh, leaving the bank holding the bag. Well, That's why um, the bank had diversified. Well, this is a long story that we've dealt with in yeah. the simple book. But, but, but the, uh, the point being, uh, the banks have now are now living in a kind of uh, cloud cuckoo fantasy land, you know, a cardboard moon uh, kind of reality of Alice in Wonderland economics that have nothing to do with reality anymore, which is why the stock market, for example, had hit record highs but it made no difference to the real economy because the stock market is just a casino now. It doesn't reflect the real economy. It's its own little game run on all the money that the Fed has made available for years and years, more than a trillion dollars a year. It's run off the printing presses. Uh, by the way, you realize that under Keynesian economics, the theory was if we give the economy stimulus, and Keynes was thinking of at most just a few billion dollars stimulus, uh, then we can create prosperity for everybody. Well, in the past six years, they've dumped more than $8 trillion, 
into the economy just in stimulus money. You know what that means? That means that everybody wow. listening to us right now should yeah. be making at least $150,000 a year. Unemployment should be zero. Prosperity should be total. We should be awash in money, but we're not. We instead have a third of millennials living at home with mom and dad up to age 34, uh, working at one or two part-time uh, you know, hamburger flipper jobs. We basically have, in large part, an economic disaster still adrift out in the country. But the government is, is having its allies in the media run around saying, oh, we have prosperity. There's a very simple measure for that. That measure is how many total people, what total percentage of the working age population is working. Actually, have, forget the faked unemployment numbers. Just ask what percentage of the population is working. The answer is about 62%. That is the lowest number since Jimmy Carter was president. Wow. Back in 1978 during the Jimmy Carter malaise. In other words, an amazing percentage of people don't have jobs. So how are they living? Well, 49.5% of households in this country now have somebody there living there who gets a government check. That's how they're living. If you were in Hawaii, Jiggy, and that's not a bad place to be, <laughs> with uh, this percentage of the country under snow, even though they have snow in Hawaii, too, on the mountain peaks, Oh, I take it back. They've been having a record cold in Hawaii, too. It must be global warming. Anyway, um, what it comes down to is you have a phenomenal number of people living on government largesse. How large can it get? In Hawaii, if you were on welfare, you would have to be earning $60,000 a year before taxes to have the same amount of money that that $60,000 a year person has after taxes. Uh, I mean, really? it, it is a phenomenal amount of money that's paid in welfare now. And so why should those people work? Why should one out of five men in the country of working age not have a job at all? Which is where we are right now. And yet we're told the economy is good. And banking is floating on top of all of this uh, being pressed more and more by the government to make loans, or better yet, to kick in money to the government. We talked about J.P. Morgan Chase, for example. J.P. Morgan Chase, in the last 12 months, has had to pay about a little over $15 billion worth of fines and penalties. Bank of America has paid $16.665 billion in fines and penalties. Because if you happen to be Barack Obama, and you're running the executive branch, and you have a Congress that won't give you all the money you want, what do you do? Well, you do run the regulatory state. And so you just use the regulatory state to fine people, penalize people, squeeze money out of them. And the trade-off with these bankers is basically, have you noticed we've been told about all the corruption of the banksters, right? How many have actually been tried or gone to prison? Almost zero. Yeah, zero. And you know why that is? Because they're told you can either be tried and go to prison, or you can pay this outrageous fine of billions and billions of dollars we've just imposed on you and your stockholders. And guess what? The bankers in that situation somehow find it reasonable to pay 
uh, billions and billions of dollars. I mean, what, what we say fifteen billion dollars from J.P. Morgan Chase. That's more. That's one and a half percent of a trillion dollars from one set of penalties collected on one company. And they have plans to penalize every major company in the country that way, bit by bit, to have the money to run the government or the executive branch. I mean, the old saying by one of our first Supreme Court justices was that the power to tax is the power to kill. Right? It turns out that the power to regulate is also the power to kill. But it's a great big gun you can put to the head of a wealthy bank and say, we'd like, oh, 10, 15 billion dollars out of your accounts right now, please. And what can the bank say? Everything the bank does is now hyper-regulated. If you put your money into a bank, and then you go down and let's say Jiggy Jaguar says, I'd like to withdraw $9,000 of my money so I can go take a vacation. Yeah. A few things will happen. Number one, the bank is now required by law to report any unusual financial activity you engage in. Are you making deposits or withdrawals in cash, for example? Are you making a withdrawal that's just a little under the $10,000 technical limit at which they're supposed to report? That's all been changed. The bank now is expected to report to you if you take out $500 in cash, and that's not normally what you do. And so, oh, and by the way, under the Obama administration, they've created this, this wonderful little thing uh, called Operation Chokehold, you may have heard of, in which banks are told, we want you to watch these kinds of companies, and if they engage in anything unusual financially, we want you to cut off all their bank accounts. And among the companies that they've targeted, gun stores, ammunition dealers, I mean, they have a whole list of people who just are ideologically hated by the current administration, and so even though they're not committing a crime, they haven't been tried or convicted of anything, if the bank decides that you are not behaving the way the government wants you to behave, the bank is empowered to and expected by government regulators to cut off your bank accounts. Think of the power of really? Wow. <clears throat> There's a risk and much, much more is documented in our book, Don't Bank on It. Which is why I hope people, and this is not a little book, by the way. This is a 256-page, heavily documented book, 27 pages of footnotes and sources. So, and it's all yours free. I mean, we'll pay the postage, we'll pay for the book, we'll pay for everything. We just want people to know what they're facing and how the government banks are now, and how the government is making banks spy on you for them. Oh, and if you do withdraw that 9000 Jiggy, guess what happens? The government now can step in and seize your entire bank account on grounds that you were trying to deceive them by taking out a few dollars less than the legal limit. They now can use asset forfeiture against any such behavior, and the bank is forced to report your forfeitable activity to the government. Now, do you really want to keep your money, therefore, in a government bank account that pays you nothing so they can spy on you, harass you, oh, and bleed you to death, yep. by the way? Yep. Uh, let, let's not forget, by the government holding interest rates where it is, they're engaging in, in what economists call financial repression. What that means is real-world inflation right now is running between 6 and 10%. What is the bank?
bank paying you oh, 1% maybe if you're lucky. In other words, every day you have your money in the bank account, you're losing its purchasing power because you're making less money in interest than you're losing in inflation. And so your money is just being eaten up as it sits in the bank. You're a loser all the way around. And why does the government do that? Well, because they have the ability to print money into that gap. Uh, that's a way that they can make you pay for the price of their inflation and easy money printing. So the government has money to spend and you don't. Well, Lord, it, 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 it's, it's amazing when you see exactly how some of these games are being played on you. And meanwhile, as we sit here, Jiggy, there are in Communist China, in Shanghai, and buildings we know very well, 125,000 members of the Red Army, the People's Liberation Army, whose full-time job is to be cyber warriors. All day, they put on their uniform, and all day long, they just hack into Western computers, including the computers at your bank. J.P. Morgan Chase has admitted that at least 76 million of its customer documents have been compromised for that kind of hacking. Anyway, this is the kind of thing we explain in the book. We show you well, the horrifying dangers. Explain how you can get the book, man. How you can protect yourself. So it might be worth calling toll-free 800-630-1494 and get a free postpaid copy of the book. That's 800-630-1494. Or as we like to say, think of Columbus sailing the ocean blue in 1492, but not quite. It's 1-800-630-1494. Well, on top of all of that, yes. I did do a column this week at Newsmax on what happened in Paris, the killings of, of journalists there. You and I are both journalists. So yes. We appreciate yes. the implications. And I quoted Voltaire, who 25 years before the American Revolution said, to hold a pen is to be at war. And he knew, I mean, the King of France had had him jailed and beaten and so on uh, for speaking out. And so he spent much of his life in foreign countries. But when he died, or shortly after he died, the French National Assembly voted to bring his body back to Paris, enter it with the great national heroes in the Pantheon, and a million people lined the streets to celebrate Voltaire. Uh, that is what we should be doing now. Uh, with, with these journalist heroes who are in his tradition. He was also a satire writer. And by the way, if Voltaire were alive today, he would be in a heck of a lot of danger. In his own life, he'd written to the Pope calling Islam's prophet the, quote, founder of a false and barbarous sect. In one of his plays, Voltaire had described the founder of Islam as a false prophet. He defended this play by saying he tried to show in it what horrible excesses fanaticism led by an imposter can plunge weak minds. In other words, they were fighting Islam back then, and uh, he knew it well. But of course, he had seen seven, up to 70,000 French Protestants slaughtered by the government of France. And so he was more than familiar with religious warfare of the kind that's being reignited today. Not that there's much hope for France, but there still is hope for us. What I mean is, the average traditional French couple today is only having 1.4 babies. Uh, they would need to have 2.1 babies just to maintain the population they had before. 
Meanwhile, the Muslims, who make up more than 8% of France's population today, are having 3.4 babies per couple. In other words, we are headed for Arabia. Europe is basically already demographically doomed. By making love, not war, the Islamists, the Muslims, are going to take over the continent. Uh, you look at Hispanics coming into the U.S. today, and you say, thank God they're Christians. <laughs> that is a very different cultural challenge, and a much smaller cultural challenge we face than what Europe is now facing. Hello, I, I, I appreciate you being with us today, my friend. Uh, looking forward to uh, chatting with you in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, before we let you go, how do people get a hold of the, uh, the, the new book? Oh, as I say, just call toll-free and leave your name and number. There won't necessarily be a person there to answer it immediately. But this way we can get back to you and find out what kind of book you'd like. Paper, Kindle edition, or whatever. 800 630 1494 is the number, 800-630-1494. And we're more than happy to, we're, we're doing a total of a dozen of these books to enlighten people, to show them exactly what's been done to you. And yeah, this is not your father's or grandfather's banking anymore. This is a whole different world of banking that's much more vulnerable. And it isn't even just banking, Jiggy. We build our whole society around computers we have no idea how vulnerable our computer systems really are. But they're apparently a lot more vulnerable than we used to believe. And we go into a lot of that in the, in the book. Well, that's, so, uh, it, it's a fun read. It's, it's not boring economics. It reads almost like a novel. We start by telling you what would happen to Jesse James today if he walked into a modern cashless bank in Sweden. Sweden, only 3% of transactions are handled in money anymore. He'd say, hands up, give me your money, and they'd all look at him and say, we don't have any money in this bank. Well, that's where we're all headed, to a world where every transaction will go through a computer or your cell phone, but the government will monitor all of it and will tax all of it 20%. That is soon to happen to us. And so we show people how to protect themselves. And that's, that's our little job in the world. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Definitely. To be able I'm, to I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you soon, Lou. Have yourself a wonderful day, sir. Appreciate God bless it. You. Lou with us today. We're going to take a time out. Chuck Morris is on the way here on the big program. We're going to talk to him after our break. Coming up. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.